Welcome to the Conversations with Anna podcast. My name is Dr. Anna Stump, the Golden Ticket Professor, a self-proclaimed edutainer. I'm a former business executive turned high school teacher turned college professor. And in the past three decades of that transition, I have spent time with several generations. And with that as my foundation, I have some stories to tell. In each episode, you'll hear stories or interviews that will help you focus on your own truth. I want you to feel accepted, motivated, supported, and then I want you to be able to take what you know about yourself and your truth, go out into this big old world we live in and apply that so you can move forward with a strategy for a more authentic life. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump in to a conversation with Anna. It's early in the day, so much I want to do. I dedicate today to breaking rules. I'm gonna stick to a strategy. I'm gonna find out exactly what I'm made of. Is there really something wrong with just smiling the whole day long? Welcome back. I'm so glad you're joining me for another conversation. This week, I had a couple of moments where I was reminded just why I care so much about this self journey, this self awareness, this self acceptance, like living in your truth, why that is so important, and how it's messy. It's not, you know, start at step A, and then at step Z, we're going to hand you your certificate, and you can go on like this is a constant, constant, constant process. Um, So uh, one touch point I had that I want to celebrate is a good friend of mine, Um, told me that she started therapy and wanted to thank me. And then she said, I also kind of am mad about it. (laughs) And I was like, "Uh oh, and she said, No, you know, therapy is hard when you first start, like you can't just start with small talk. I mean, you can, but that leads to big talk and heavy talk and like, break you wide open talk and then put you back together talk. And she said, but I would take this how I feel going through this, these early stages of therapy, I would take this any day over the choice. And I was like, well, what's the choice? Like, what's the other alternative here? And she's like, just going numb through life, taking what comes your way, not soaking it in and not reacting. And she said, which is great when it's negative, it's hard, it's bad, it's other people, you know, kind of treading on you or whatever. And she goes, but it's the good things and the happiness and the highs that you are also kind of, you know, protected from when you're in that bubble. And I don't want to be that way. I want to, I want to feel, man, that takes a lot of guts that I was so thrilled to hear that and proud of her. So major win right there. I think that's fantastic. Another one was the conversation I had with my mom in the car. We were running an errand and she has this way of kind of um, giving me the Reader's Digest version or the cliff notes, if you will, of her Facebook feed and where everybody's opinions fall and how they're sharing things and, you know, what they think and believe and you know, can you believe this? And can you believe that? And, you know, oddly enough, we continue to talk about some of the usual suspects of her Facebook feed. And as someone who has exercised boundaries, and made choices to unfriend and distance myself from people that I cannot 
match up with well enough in my values and beliefs that I feel very good about. My mom is not in that place. Some of that I attribute to her age. I mean, she's in her 70s. And I think, well, you know, she's just not gonna change. Like there's, she's pretty entrenched, and that's fine. And then there are times that I think, well, as someone who's retired and literally just watches the news and scrolls through social media, like that's kind of her creating her own, um, you know, environment and creating her own worth and creating her own activity, if you will. So I kind of rolled my eyes a couple times and she's like, I know what you're thinking. And I said, oh, really? Do tell. And she's like, you're wondering why I just quit. Don't quit following. Like, get away from these people. And I was like, yeah, I really do wonder that. She's like, I know. And she's, you ask me that all the time and you push back on me enough. I've thought about this. Okay, good. (laughs) That's all I want. (laughs) That's all I need. And then she says, you know, my dad died when I was young and I've had a lot of people in my life in and out for various things. And I am very high feeler, which I know she's literally one of the most empathetic people. And she said, it hurts. And I don't, I can't ever willingly remove someone. I'm not good at that. And I always want to believe the best in people. And I have a hard time when I see the worst in them. And I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. Like, oh, so I said to her, don't apologize to me. Because I, first of all, like the fact that she thought about all this and she processed it and she took it all the way back to her little nine-year-old self. That is knowing yourself. The fact that she wanted to apologize to me meant that she's accepted that about herself and that she's willing to work from that place. And that is not something to apologize for. That is accepting yourself. So I told her, you know what? I will be a better partner to you. I will be a better daughter to you. I will be better in this relationship and I will meet you where you are with that as long as it's healthy. Like I'm not going to doom scroll with you. I'm not going to, you know, clasp my pearls and gasp every time someone shows us who they are when we've known forever who they are, but I will listen and I will help you process and I will be there for you because I don't think I really have been very well. And that was a moment where I thought, you know, what our journey looks like on this self-acceptance and self-awareness and then sharing yourself with people really is sometimes having to ask for what you need. None of us are good at that. None of us are good at that. And her in that moment was one of the strongest times I've seen her. She wasn't emotional about it. She wasn't short. She wasn't, you know, terse with me or anything. She just was like, look, you asked me to think about this. Here's where I think, here's what's happened in my life. And then she looks at me and goes, we didn't all grow up like you. (laughs) And I was like, oh, well, um, okay. (laughs) Like you do know you're the one who was responsible for me growing up. But I was like, I know where she's coming from with that because I did have both of my parents and, you know, I was like, I get it. I get it. I get it. So fast forward a few days and I was out on like one of my little health walks, um, you know, trying to get my mind right and enjoy some of this uh, good weather and listening to Brene Brown. And she mentioned a couple of things about her research that I, it brought me back to this conversation with my mom because she was talking about how children and their personalities and growing up are somewhat framed by their family unit, which we know. But she started talking about how in the past, several generations back, people got married much younger 
And because it was just like what the natural thing to do. And that's what you did. And to some people, that's how you got out of your house, right? I see that when I travel. We saw that a lot when we were in Singapore a couple of years ago. I mean, it's just like the natural kind of progression of your life. So when people got married much earlier, they didn't have as much as in common. They didn't know each other as much. And I think back to like my husband's grandparents both of them married someone they had not known all much that long. Um, and his maternal grandfather, like, met his future wife um, while it was either while he was on leave or he was getting ready to ship out. And, like, the other grandfather shipped the ring back. Like, it was, I mean, it was just like, that's kind of, that was normal then. The other really odd thing about those times were those marriage lasts so much longer than today's. Where if you think about who they raised and what that looked like when you have two parents who are a little bit different and kind of, you know, working through that growing up and that conflict and that, you know, same kind of relationship thing, I think that was a different time. Fast forward, and Brene was sharing, like, again, some of her research, that people today are waiting so much later in life to get married and... Maybe it's a product of the environment that we're in and what we're seeing in society, but they're looking for um, compatibility. They're waiting later in life and they're marrying people who are more like them, which is a lot of good attributes about that as well. But they're more settled and they're more established and they're more likely to be with someone who's like them before they bring a child into the family. So that alone. There's a lot of differences there. So I started thinking about my parents and how their relationship, their marriage, their, you know, time and who they are impacted me. And man, I had to like pause the podcast. And then I just like, that was my whole walk was kind of reflecting on that. I think that's what helped me establish myself. And I think about like being an uh, Enneagram 8. Or I think about wanting my way of communicating, my strength, my confidence. Um, I think about like leaving home and moving all over the country and all the just the different things that I have done and why I was able to do that. It all goes back to my parents. So I think that when we are on this self journey, we have to look in, inside ourselves a lot, but we also owe it to ourselves to look at the view of our formative years. We have to look at environment. We have to look at all of these things to get a really good view of ourselves because so many of those things are hard for us to own because we don't know where they came from or why they're here. And sometimes we look for excuses or justification and maybe that's okay, but we have to figure out how much value that we're going to place on the environment and like what has framed us. And I think that when you look at family, it could be anything from your birth order to how you grew up, where you grew up. I mean, I grew up in the smallest of towns, in the smallest of schools where everyone knew everyone, right? Like it's just those things frame who you are as well. And what it looks like to distance yourself from that or be independent. Sometimes if you grew up in a really big family, you could kind of get lost in the mix. Other times you grew up in a really small family and maybe you're very family oriented and your family's together all the time and you're not able to start to distance yourself from that 
um, for positive or negative reasons. Um, I have a friend who I taught her son in high school and he got married and they live like two hours away, but they live closer to the wife's family. And the, the mom of the husband is just constantly keeping some sort of mental spreadsheet of amount of time that each set of parents gets to spend with the couple. And I just, I think, you know, like you, you can't, put that stress and that pressure and you can't put that on that young newlywed couple. Um, and every time I see, you know, on Facebook or whatever that they've all gotten together, I just think, Oh, was that like out of obligation? Was it to update the the time or like, how did that all work? I think that has all settled down over the you know the few years that they've been married, but that stuff is, you know, obviously that's coming from the mom of the husband of the, the groom, right? She's bringing some of the things that have happened in her family, what her definition of tight family or family expectations are. Um, so you have birth order, you have family climate, you have the way that your family um, kind of does holidays or talks about money or politics or religion. I mean, there's just a lot that goes into that family bucket. And that is probably the hardest one to build those boundaries around. And it's tough, but that may be the one that is the most impactful that you need to really you know, look at the most and kind of um, take special consideration when looking to yourself to define who you really are is taking a look at who made you and who did you grow up around and what did that look like? And then from our family, we go to friends, right? And we hear all the time, you know, friends come and go and, you know, people in and out of your lives or you're really good friends. You don't have to be in touch with every day. And definitely people come in and out of your life at certain times for certain reasons. And I believe, you know, like if you listen to Kevin's episode, when I had him on, how interesting it was uh, back in episode eight, when he talked about how often his friends moved away um, in his formative years and how that made him really hard to get to. He had some other things happen in his fraternity experience in college. And, uh, you know, that just kind of built up some walls and some expectations of people. And he was really hard to get to know. And then later in life, he gets this group of friends as an adult. And now he's just like, it kind of opened that back up for him and got the blood flowing back again to those to that part of his heart. And it's fantastic to see. But, you know, there's a lesson in all of that. And there's the way you choose friends, the way you hang on to them, the way you justify it, the way you break up, the ones that you keep, the ones that you keep close, the ones you keep out of obligation. Like, what is that? Like taking a look at all that, doing some inventory on that. I have joked in classrooms for years that social media came along and just completely redefined the word friend. Um, and so maybe you need to do that for yourself. I know if I had to do that before and it really has made a huge difference. And I think I've shared with you before, like my 3am list, Kevin and I both have a 3am list. Who was this our 3am person? Like, could I call this person at 3am and tell them to come and get me? Whether it was from a flat tire or perhaps at the jail, I don't know what I might be doing. But if I called them, you know, you got those people in your life that are halfway dressed before you explain what you need. Like those are the people that you know are your tribe. So thinking about how 
you handle and have handled and the type of people that you attract in terms of friendship. Because again, I think what I am noticing is the more intentional I have been with myself, the more trust I've had in myself, the more authentic I've been, I tend to attract to those people as friends and into my energy. I mean, I'm not trying to get really existential, but man, it's so true. When I'm kind of a wreck and processing oddly or not being true to something or, you know, trying to project or overcompensate for stuff, then I seem to get those messes um, around. Really think being intentional with friendships in their true state, not your perception of them, but start looking for commonalities, start looking for threads, start looking for those things. After you go through family and then friends, then you have things like your education, your career, your passions. How are those framed? I will never forget sitting in a room at a high school. This was after I started teaching at the college level and I was visiting a high school and just ask the question of a room full of seniors, what is your biggest reason for looking at a certain college? And this girl in the back said, I want to go where my friends are going. And a bunch of heads started nodding. And I was like, that's real? That is real. I don't know. Like, I remember being her age and took a look around at the few people in my graduating class that were going to college. And I was thinking, I'm going where these people are not. Um, A couple of us went to one big state school, rarely saw each other. Um, But yeah, I was like, so you guys want, and then it dawned on me, right? Like, that's a safe choice. When you're about to completely turn your life upside down and you're going to move away from home, you're going to do your own laundry, you don't know if you're smart enough, you don't know if you're going to be accepted, you don't know who you'll talk to, you don't know anything is the most unsure you've ever been in your life, of course you're going to cling to your friends. You know, teenagers are fairly social to begin with. Well, girls, I don't know. I'm raising a boy. I'm pretty sure social's not on the top 20 of his attributes. But I just, I think that that is important for all of us throughout stages of our life. Did we do this major, this school, this college experience? Did we take this job? Did we do all of these things because we thought that was expected of us? because it was the natural choice, because somebody else did it? Was that really us? And was that us at a snapshot of time when we were younger? Um, Those are things I think you have to kind of really think about and look into. And also realize that none of those things, like no one's telling you um, that you have to get one job and keep it for the rest of your life. No one's telling you in the United States anyway, that whatever major you pick, you have to work in for the rest of your life. You know, there's, there's things are made by young minds who are not experienced, but help you have a good foundation for when you go out and add experience onto that. So thinking about those choices and why you made them, historically, but are you still doing that? Are you still doing that? So I think that that is a very important thing to think about. And then leading up to being in love and having relationships and thinking about who, you know, there's, I used to laugh at this because I've had a very tumultuous relationship with my dad. Like, it's that's like a whole therapy session, probably. Um, I've never really understood him. And I think I've shared this with you before. It was my mom that was constantly constantly for a decade and a half telling me to cut him some slack and think about his childhood. And I'm like, "Mm, I'm pretty sure when you get to 60, you can't be waving your childhood flag around for people anymore. And she's like, no, you don't really, 
you know, you're not giving him enough consideration. And looking back, she was right. And 100%. But I've always just, it was so cringeworthy to me when people would be like, girls want to marry someone like their dad, you know, and I'm like, no. See, my problem is I am looking for the exact polar opposite of my dad. (laughs) I mean, exact polar opposite of my dad. And that's not healthy either. So um, I think that was in my uh, 20s. I worked through that. There are attributes of my husband that are the best attributes of my dad. I think that is all probably by chance and not necessarily, you know, by design. I could be wrong. Um, It would be, again, like I said, a couple more therapy sessions to get to the root of that. But I'm happily married and I have a good relationship with my dad. So that's not on the the hot list of things I need to work through um, with said therapist at any point. But I do think looking for commonalities in this was it someone that felt good you know like what what was the relationship catalyst and you know love is a very delicate thing and it's not always the most healthy it can be transformative it can be amazing it can help shape you shape a personality that you thought was done being shaped especially if you met later in life I honestly, truly 100% believe I am a better person every single day because of my partner. So I hope that's what all of you have. And I constantly am checking in with him that he feels the same way because (laughs) there are days where I'm like, I'm sure he probably doesn't. And he's probably thinking, is there a box on the taxes to check uh, for some sort of hazard (laughs) consideration some days with this woman? Um, I know he doesn't feel that way. I joke. Um, mainly out of, you know, the fact that I try all the time to be funny, but sometimes it's self-deprecation and other times I'm prodding at him to pay me a compliment. These are all things I know. These are things that are good, right? <laughs> not good that I do them, but good that I know. Cause then I can, I can pace myself on all of that and not be a burden. But thinking about what draws you to a person, what you give, what you get, how often, how one-sided, how healthy and all those things around your relationship. And again, you may be finding commonalities and threads that you can pull through all of these environmental factors. One that I hesitate to add to the list, but I feel like is very important, is loss or death. Because in talking to my mom and my dad about their childhood and why they are the way they are, And when my mom pulled that out on me just last week about, you know, I lost my dad when I was nine and how that has framed her level of tolerance, her desire to cling to people, her empathy, um, her fear of losing people. Now get, he's been gone 60 years and you kind of look at her and be like, come on now, (laughs) but you really can't, you know, you can't lay those expectations on people. And that is part of her formative years that she should not have to make excuses for or shake and good on her that she realized it. But life is fragile. And sometimes we are framed and shaped by the loss that we have around us. It changes your worldview. It shakes up your entire life. Things in your perspective just shift without I mean, it shifts in a moment and you really just don't know um, how that impacts you. So it it really does define what truly being happy is 
It defines how willing you are to consider boundaries and a lot of things. And it maybe even isn't the death of someone close to you, but just the constant reminder that nothing lasts forever and that people are fragile and that we are all here for a limited time. I can tell you if you ever have a chance to talk to my child he and you ask him like what is something your mom says all the time that drives you crazy i'm going to almost bet on the top 3 of what's known to probably be a very long list is he gets really tired of me saying things on random occasions like if i were to die today i need you to know i'm the happiest i've ever been <laughs> Because I mean, so like as a kid, I've been saying this to him for several years now, that he's just like, mom, I don't like, okay, I don't know what to do with that. And I'm like, I know you don't. I know you don't. And it's weird and morbid that I would say it to you, but I just need you to look me in the eye and I need for you to understand how happy I am. I'm happy in the choices that I've made in my life. I'm happy with your dad. I'm happy with you. I'm happy all around. And that if I happen to be gone tomorrow or something should happen to me, I need for you to constantly know in your heart what a good place I'm in. And he's like, okay. You know, like, I don't think he kind of cares at the moment because, you know, like his little teenage mind and processing, he's not really lost anybody so that he doesn't get that. But I think it's important because I do think, like, what if I do? What if something does happen to me? Like, that bus I've been joking about finally gets me. Um, like, what What has he got left to remember a mom who intentionally told him as often as he could tolerate that I was at the best place I've ever been in my life and that I was a happy person? I think that's so important. I really, really do. And perhaps you disagree. I know some days he rolls his eyes. I try and do that with my husband. I try and do that with my parents. I try and do that with people just so they know, like, I'm good. I may have a bad day from time to time, but overall, I am good. And if it all is gone tomorrow, I am so grateful for the time that I had. So I think that that mindset helps. I think talking about it a little bit helps. I think that the... The concept of losing people, the process of letting go and grief, that changes you and it motivates you to have a different outlook on life. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's important to know that if you were framed that way, and honestly, indirectly, I'm different than I would have been if my mom hadn't lost my dad, her dad when she was so young. So those things do frame you for generations. It frames your family. It frames all of that. Um, so thinking about all of these, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. I do think the environment is something you really have to take into consideration when you are trying to get that self-awareness. The other thing, when we go back to... Um, your circle of control and things that you are allowing into your life, which is why I had this, you know, whole thing with my mom, like the doom scrolling on Facebook and the constant news that she leaves on. And I'm like, mom, like you're letting all of that in and you get worked up about like, that is your choice. And what I have to understand is yes, that is her choice. That's how she wants to spend these years that is how she operates. Good. Let's, you know, as long as she understands, I can't allow her to constantly be talking to me about it because I'm not letting that in. 
I've been very intentional about what I've let in on my social channels, what I've let in on how I spend my attention. I'm not certainly not letting her like creep up any kind of ambush and letting it in my life. So just knowing that how you spend your time, what kind of inputs you're letting in, what kind of information you're letting in, how you are spending your mind, not just spending your time, but spending your mind. Think about that. So all of this stuff together, again, when I talk to you about knowing yourself, really ultimately constantly always be questioning. You're never going to be fully done. But my second step of that golden ticket philosophy is not to know yourself and then to accept yourself. And I feel like when you are able to be like, this might not be anybody else's dream, (laughs) but I feel pretty good about where I am. I may not love everything about where I am. You know, like I could lose some weight. I could be healthier. I could, you know, do this more. I could do that more. I could, you know, take a chance over here. But fundamentally, big picture, when you are self-talking, when you're looking in the mirror, when you're thinking about yourself, if you are accepting of who you are and the gifts that you have and like what you've gone through to get to where you are today, if that stuff is good, then that's step two, right? You have accepted yourself. Now you have to love yourself. Now is when you go back through some of these other episodes that I've done where we talk about like how you handle apologies, how you not worry about what other people think, using the word no, shedding that imposter syndrome and that like making sure that you are not being codependent, that you're showing resilience, that you are now opening yourself up to figure out passions and direction and those things, like how can you establish yourself to where you are empowered, that you are happy, that you are high functioning, and then you can go out and support other people on that same journey. That is not an obligation, by the way. Like I am not telling you once you get to that last step that you go out and like start holding workshops. I mean, I don't even hold workshops. You don't even have to start podcasts. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when I use the example of when you're in a good place, you attract people that are in a good place. That's what I mean. Show up for people and just be your most true authentic self. Cause really that is the biggest gift you can give to anyone. So that was today's conversation, thinking a little bit about what formed you, what shaped you, how you're still responding and reacting to those things throughout your formative years and beyond. Are you still allowing some of that to control um, how you process, how you spend your time, how you spend your mind how you are moving forward. Are you carrying all of that with you? And is that the best? Is that healthy? Is that good? And please remember, we don't compare. We're not comparing, not comparing to anyone else, not comparing to your family. You don't have to worry about that stuff, right? Comparison is the thief of joy. That's what the Queen Brene Brown says. I'm going to repeat that as long as I have a breath. You just don't need to compare. Your journey is your journey. When you accept yourself, you accept yourself. Doesn't mean you're done working on yourself. Doesn't mean you're done challenging yourself. It just means that you know who you are. It's that next step of loving yourself and giving yourself grace and giving yourself goals and challenges and rising to meet those and having it be okay when you don't. 
I think that this is a really good time to focus on all of this external thing. Because, you know, I talk about circle of control a lot, but there are things that have happened in the past who've made you who you are today that you really want to process because that helps you define why you think the way you do, why you struggle with certain things, and then it helps you define those healthier boundaries. So take a look at that in your spare time of all the other things that you're working on. Think about and maybe going into the holiday season, maybe going into time when you are, you know, kind of framing some of your thoughts around your obligations and your traditions and different things that you can do. Because I'm going to tell you 2020 has been a real eye opener in a lot of those ways. Continue to do that work. So take this conversation that you just had with Anna and think about the conversation you can have with yourself. Journal a little bit about it. Keep some notes. Keep track of things. Question why. Have conversations with your people, with your tribe, with your loved ones. Um, really kind of dig deep into some of those things and um, help yourself understand your foundation. And I think it'll be helpful. I really do. So thank you all again for tuning in and listening to this conversation. I would love to continue to have conversations with you. So whether that's email, if you go to my website, goldenticketprof.com, if you join us in the conversations with Anna Facebook group, hit me up on Twitter, uh, whatever, whatever, however it works to get a hold of me. I would love to hear from you. Thank you all and go have your best week.